Welcome to In the Woods. I'm James Woods, aka William Moore, the author of Sparrows Valley and the Twisted Fairy Tale series, and co-founder of Majavi. If you need to get out of your own way and learn how to traverse the not-so-happy path in your career, I want to help you dig through the weeds and get to the roots of what may be holding you back from growing and succeeding in your industry. The mindset when you have to overcome when things don't go your way. So join me in the woods. Welcome to In the Woods. I'm James Woods, aka William Moore, the author of Sparrows Valley and the Swiss Fairy Tale series, and a co-founder of Majavi. If you need to get out of your own way and learn how to traverse the not so happy path in your career, join me in the woods. Today I have uh, a very special guest, Mr. Excitement himself, Joe Cahill. <laughs> if anyone ever saw a meme for Jack of All Trades, it is definitely this guy. Uh, over the years, I've worked with him uh, personally on different projects at American Express. And over the years, and speaking to him, I've learned some of the other projects. I had no clue. You've done stand-up uh, comedy. You're an ordained minister. You've done product design, UX, UI. You code a little bit. You're, you're a mentor to people all across the industry. And you've worked with some of the largest brands literally in the country. And... You have a very, very exciting and enjoyable personality. You know, like when you go into an office and there's always that person, they may not even be on your team, that when you wake up in the morning, it's like, man, I hope that guy's in the office today because I know I'm going to have a good day if he's there. This is definitely Joe. <laughs> so uh, That is, I love that. <laughs> so I guess we'll, we'll oh, go ahead. Unfortunately, that is so disturbingly true. Um, where I'm working now, uh, people have requested to work with me because they heard me on another call and they're like, that man loves every day. That man loves what he's doing. Can we work with Joe? And I was just like, there's no there's no way people want to work with me just because I'm happy. I'm like, that's just the coffee. <laughs> so one of the things I, I've always wanted to ask you is you've worked in so many different fields uh, you've worked in so many different industries from, you know, you've used your personality to make people laugh officially on a stand-up stage to, I mean, ordain ministry. You, you have to do my wedding in the future because I can only imagine how comical that I would be. Down. <laughs> uh, when you first started, was your passion in design or was it in comedy or how did you embark? How did Where did you know where to go? So... I was, I always knew I was going to be creative. I always knew I was going to be doing something in some area. I am, I was that little kid who carried around a notebook and I would draw pictures and I would like color everything in. And like art was always a part of like every day of my life. Like it, it would never not. And even now, so we're 40, going to be 41. I said, we like there's more than one, the multiple personalities will kick in at some point. Somebody may take the stage, but um, but that was always the thing, right? Like it was always finding ways to do something different. Like, um, you know, I'm still a, a huge fan of Legos. If we were in my house right now, there'd be way more because we're in the woods. We in the woods. But like, if I, like I love Legos, even when I was a little kid, even now as an adult, like it's such a great way to just keep my mind occupied. And like you said, I do all this. I do all this extra because there's 24 hours in a day. I only sleep three of them. I got to fill those extra 21 hours somehow. <laughs> Um, 
but yeah, it's always been, and then like, I realized like my personality started really developing like in late, like when I was 16, 17, I was always super quiet. I know. Shocking. Um, but like in, when I was 16, 17, like, uh, I dropped a bunch of weight. Like I started realizing, started feeling myself. So like, I was just like, ah, I'm just going to talk to people and be myself and just bring all the energy that I have. And what it ended up turning into, especially watching, uh, old comedians growing up because the eighties and nineties were like top time for, for comedy, especially stand up. I like went and did that. And I realized like, this is a great way for me to feel comfortable in front of her, like a room full of strangers and talking nonsense. And even now that's pretty much 90% of my job is standing in front of a room of people talking nonsense, except the nonsense has like a way more targeted approach. So it was always that way of like being creative, being artsy. Um, like I oh, kind of wanted to be an actor, but I don't really read well. Like, <laughs> so reading lines was like that it automatically kicked me out of it there's not many improv plays in high school um but i did do an improv class when i was in college and they were like uh i was i I always revert revert back to like the the office because that's one of people's like watching improv poorly is like there was always that one dude who had the same character well i was the person who would just be like we're in a hospital what's going on and i'm like well i'm an alien i'm from a different world I'm here to see what's going on. Why are you putting your hands inside that person? And then the people would just break because they weren't <laughs> expecting it. Because I was like, I don't want to do the fucking regular shit that everybody does. I don't want to be another doctor or like a crazy parent. Or I was like, I'm going to be fucking something weird. Uh, I think there was, uh, they were like tossing a ball around, an imaginary ball, the favorite improv thing. And, uh, I pretended to be a T-Rex and had little arms and they threw it at me and it hit me right in the face. And I'm like, sorry, I just got little arms because, you know, you guys invited this Tyrannosaurus Rex to a catch party. Like, what's going on? My kid would do something that's more fun and they would just be like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Um, But that's the thing. And then like, even as design evolved, like doing print design was like my first love. To be fair, I didn't even know I was going to be a print designer. I was, uh, I went to college to be an illustrator, 100% wanted to be an illustrator, wanted to work for Marvel or Image or DC, all the comics that I still have to this day. Um, but I went to college and I met the dean of students at St. John's and he was like, listen, dude, you have way too much personality to be an illustrator. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what did you say? He's like, you should be a graphic designer. And I was like, what's that? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, it's, it's, and he looked at me confused and I'm like, I'm in, you know, a middle lower class part of Long Island. I did not have a computer growing up. I had a, a, I played Oregon Trail on the Mac in school. Like everybody else did. Um, I didn't know about computers. So he's like, oh, it's digital art. It's going to be, you know, advertising and all this stuff. And I was like, no. And he goes, listen, he goes, do you want to make money? 17 years old. What am I going to say? No, of course I want to make money. He goes, don't be an illustrator. (laughs) I was like, all right. um, So what am I supposed to do? And he goes, take the courses. If you don't like it, you could always switch back to illustration. It's all the same curriculum. Perfect. So my first day, so even before I even got into college, before I even started my real career, now I know it's imposter syndrome. 
back then I was like, I'm, they're all going to know that I have no idea what I'm doing. I sat at, I sat in front of a computer for the first time, Mac 922, Mac OS 922. And if anybody out there is old enough to remember what it looked like, it had a, <laughs> it had a window in the middle, which was your application launcher. There was no docs. There was no nothing. And it was like, and I'm looking and I'm staring at this thing and I'm like, mine was uh, accordioned up. So it was minimized. So I was like, somebody's like, Joe, launch Adobe Photoshop 5.5. And I was like, <laughs> I don't see it. They're like, well, look at the icons. It's in the launcher. And I'm like, ah, I don't see a launcher. And they showed me it was accordion down. It opened up. Photoshop opened up for the first time. And I would just stood there looking at a blank canvas and going like, they're all going to know. I'm, I don't know what to do. Where's all the where's the two buttons on the mouse? Because back then the mouse was only one key. There was yes. no right click on an, on an Apple mouse. Um, God, the world has changed so much. Uh, <laughs> but it was such a it was such a weird thing. And then I felt like within that first semester of playing uh, taking graphic design one, I fell in love with it. I realized it's not that hard. To be fair, it is difficult because you have to know design, typography, and all the stuff that comes with it. But I'm like, I could do this because it's just taking what I know. And moving it somewhere else. And then from print design to web design, back in the 90s, building those amazingly beautiful flash sites that we love so much. Um, transferring that part into like design into that. The foundations of design into that. And then learning coding and action scripting, which is a useless thing that's still in the back of my head for no reason. Because why not? Let's do action scripting someday again. So you did all but the... Like, the uh... You did the, the 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 graphic design, the print design. How did yep. that kind of correlate with your personality when working into corporate America? Because I know some oh. people think when you go into corporate America, you have to, you know, the suit, the tie, the button up. And your personality oh. is definitely the first guy anyone hears or sees in the room. That did that ever make anything difficult for you when you were first kind of getting into the industry? 200%. So that was the first thing that happened when I worked for like a regular company. Like work my first couple of jobs were like agencies and they were like casual jeans, t-shirt, you know, nothing too crazy. And then I worked for like a regular company that everybody was in a shirt and tie. And I'm like we had a small department and I was like, "Uh, you want me to do mock-ups? You want me to cut and paste like boxes together and make like uh, like a real life version of this. I can't do this in a shirt and tie. Well, Joe, it's our policy that you wear a shirt and tie at all times. And I said, well, that's not going to work for me. So I used to have, I would always wear a regular t-shirt, a button up and a tie that was never, never tied correctly. Unbuttoned two down. I would take the tie off, take the shirt off. And I had to do mock-ups. I, you know, they wanted, they wanted us to dress nice. And I'm like, but we're creative. Like it took a lot of fighting. Actually what it really took was our air conditioning to go out in the department. And I said, we cannot dress like this. Like, you know, I'm layered up. I was literally sweating while they were getting the air conditioning fixed. And the air conditioning was out for like maybe three weeks. And I told them we have to go to regular clothes. I'm like, I have to wear jeans or shorts or t-shirts, something. Because you guys don't want to see me like just melt in my chair. So they did. They let us do it. And then when the air conditioning got fixed, I never made anybody dress up again. <laughs> Why do you think that transition? Because if you think of like the Silicon Valley and California, they were always in jeans and T-shirts mm -hmm. forever. 
but in New York and you know all of the major metropolitan areas, it it, it, it was always corporate, and now they're starting to realize especially when you're creative, you have to feel comfortable. You have to be, yeah. you know, relaxed, calm. And I, I, I was, I was that guy also. I, I used to work at uh, direct TV and everyone knew me as the guy that would finish your work very, very, very quickly. And everyone in my department, all the devs had, you know, the, the, the polo, the, the button down, the ties. And I literally would finish my work super fast and be in a corner and everyone knew I was there because I'd almost given up hope of <laughs> <laughs> I would go into the office. I would play like YouTube or Netflix on my computer and I'd be watching stand up and I received a reputation from everyone in the department. He's like, oh, boy, because I had no shame. You would literally hear me just oh, yeah. burst out laughing. And it was like, what do you and I would have it full screen. So my manager would come to, to my desk. He's like, hey, James, um, do, did you did you finish that project? I was like, oh, yeah, it's an email. So I finished it like this morning. So I'm just kind of waiting on the next project. So they couldn't tell me anything because I was always days ahead of everyone else on the team. And I just given up like I literally didn't even try hiding it anymore. I don't know. You know, some people, they have the computer and they try to, like, swipe it over or minimize oh, yeah. it. Yeah. I would have it full screen, chair leaned back. And everyone's like, we can't even say anything to him because he's literally a week and a half <laughs> ahead of schedule. What are we supposed to do with this guy? Because we got nothing to give him. <laughs> so they, they were a lot more lenient with me, with my dress code. They were a lot more lenient with, you know, what I did throughout the day because I gave them expert level work. And I just finished... I would literally take other people's work and I would walk around the office like, dude, you got something for me? Like, I'm literally yeah. bored to death. And I know y'all don't want me watching YouTube all day, but if you don't give me something, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and that's that hunger, right? Like, that's that hunger, like, as a, you know, as a professional that's good at their job, right? You have that hunger to constantly overachieve. Half of it's because you have that drive to work, but also because this shit comes naturally to you, right? Like, it's just something that is like, it's so easy. Like, that's where I always say like this job, I've been doing my job for 20 years, right? Which it blows my mind anyway, because I look so young. Um, but it's for 20 years, it's never been work. Like I always say, I've never hated a day of work. I fucking hate people because people are awful and they ruin everything. But the work itself, being creative, doing stuff, doing sites, doing apps, doing fucking print, whatever, it was just so natural to just enjoy work. And it's funny you say you blasted, blasted YouTube videos because at one point I was like, our team grew, right? It was just me and two other people at the start. At one point we were 14, 15 people, depending on like who was a freelancer. 15 people big, right? We had our own space. They put us off in like this weird new corner of the building that like nobody wanted us by. And then uh, I found an old Power Mac G3. Still worked. I threw a hard drive in it. I put just iTunes on it and connected it to the speaker system. And I, in our room, I said, listen, guys, put whatever music you want on it. I don't give a shit. It's going to be on shuffle. I dropped fucking stand-up acts. I dropped random music. There was movie soundtracks. There was uh, classical music, which whenever it was on, somebody told me to turn off. Jazz, which nobody liked either, but I don't give a fuck. I like it. Um, but it was always on repeat. So, like, we'd be sitting in, and the thing is, none of it was for, say, for work. 
So we would just sit back and we'd be working and having fun. And the next thing you know, you'd hear like two live crew, which for anybody who knows two live crew, that is not safe for any workplace, let alone even playing in the home um, to like smashing pumpkins to Tchaikovsky to uh, a set from Lisa Lampanelli, which is just completely fucking ridiculous nonsense uh, to then like Gwen Stefani. And it was, <laughs> and like in an afternoon, like we'd all be working and we'd all be vibing and nobody cared that like this music wasn't the music they liked. But it was just, it was so funny because then randomly nonsense would happen. Like you'd just be working and all of a sudden you hear Dennis Leary's asshole song come on and everybody just starts hysterical laughing. But, but the best part would be like the the CEO and the owner would like walk clients around and they would always make us last. And they would, it, we were right by a conference room. So what they would do is they would start walking towards and they'd hear whatever music is playing. And if they were like, if they heard uh, anything that they figured would be, be be inappropriate, they would turn them right around and put them right into the conference room. <laughs> also, what they never took consideration was my voice, which travels. Like, there is, like, people always say it's because you're a New Yorker, your voice just will fucking echo for miles. I said, yeah, yes and no. I'm like, I'm pretty sure, like, this is just, it just goes from everywhere. But they would hear me through the conference room wall. They eventually stopped using the conference room. Um, because I just be like, ah, mother, we have to get these things done today. We have to get this done. Where the f are you with that thing? And then they'd just be like, Joe, you need to watch your mouth when you're in the office. And what then is while your... they're saying that, uh, Dr. Dre's on. <laughs> I'm like, what about him? Does he have, does he have to watch your mouth? Now, people have different managerial styles. Some people are very strict, micromanage, stay on your back of your shoulder and nitpick everything you do. And some people have more of a, they're part of the team. Uh, they like to be hands-on. They delegate. And it's like, I hired you because I know you can do your job. So I'm hoping that I don't have to babysit you. What are kind of some of your philosophies that have kind of worked? Because I know there are certain managers that just get better results and no one can figure out why and the thing is their managerial approach is just different you're one of those guys i i have tended to be one of those guys also where i don't manage like everyone else but i get better results than most people what 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 would you feel is your philosophy that you you see has worked fear scare the out of me i'm just kidding (laughs) um you know what it is uh i i started using this analogy uh, recently probably within the last like two or three years of hiring people basically my managerial style is like when you're here your family it's the olive garden philosophy um when you when i interview you my interview techniques are really not normal ish um i have no problem with them some people get confused uh but it's basically it's a small psychological test that i know what's going on i will talk to you like this is not an interview i will joke around i will say weird at one point, I don't know why, there was like a weird morning streak that I would just, in every interview I would do, I would talk about cocaine, and I don't know how it would come up. I assumed it was because I was tired in the morning and I needed to pick me up. I don't do cocaine, but it just came up in conversation, as it does. Um, but what ended up happening was, as I interview people, I see how they react to my personality. I see how they react to the weird questions that I'd ask. And then when they run through their case study... Some people, when they when they uh, check case studies, they don't ask questions. They let them do their presentation and call it a day. I interrupt those so many times. 
mainly because I care and I want to ask questions, but also I want to see how they do with like a start and stop, right? So as I interview these people, I realize I'm like, you're passionate. You got the same energy as me. I'm amped up. You're amped up. You know, it always ended up becoming not did you want to work for the job? Because sometimes the jobs were not fun. Like they weren't sexy jobs. They were finance. Finance, you do smart work. You don't do sexy work. Like this isn't Spotify. We're not building cool components for Drake's artwork of his emojis. Um, don't get me started. Uh, but it's it's smart work. So if I get people excited about smart work and working with me, that's what works. And then they, they get on board because they know that they're going to be getting not just an education in the work, but somebody who will always support them. Somebody who will always like be into this and somebody who does the work. I think that's also something that's a big thing. Like sometimes when people become managers, they straight up forget about all the foundations of what they did. Right. right? Like I still love being in sketch, even though sketch is dying. And I love being in Figma and I love being in Photoshop and illustrator. And I still love putting my hands in the tools because also if I'm, more, if I'm managing somebody and they say, I'm having a real problem with the way this image is being masked in Figma. I don't want to look at them and be like, sorry, bro, go to fucking Google, figure it out for yourself. I want to be like, oh shit, let me show you this. Like, and that's also when it comes to them working together, like making sure they have a plan. I think that's what some of the most important things with a, when a manager and, and employees is building a plan for growth. Like, especially now, like, I don't want to be like talk about the young people, but like, they're literally at a job for a year or two, maybe if that, until they bounce to get something with a better salary, which by the way, you know, for the young people listening, y'all making money that we didn't make for like 10 years in our career. Y'all making, yes. y'all making bank. And I, I, I started out my first job. I was making $29,000, $29,000 starting out like 80, 90, depending on what you do. Um, out of college, the whole thing. It's a, yeah, that's a bitter old man thing. Just to let you know in my time. Um, but for real though, right? Like it's, we build the plan for you. Cause we want, I don't want people to leave after a year or two. I want you to like ride or die with me, like come here, work and learn as much as you can start off as a junior, work your way up to a senior. If you're a senior, work your way up to like a director, like grow with me and let me build a team with you. And like, that's where, um, even now the, the funniest part about my, my phone, up, I was, uh, I just started dating somebody and it's going great. And she's asking me about my group chats on my phone because there's obviously a ton of them. We all got a bunch of them. And, and I'm like, Oh, well I hired this person in 2002 and the two of them worked together with me. And then this chats from some people I hired in like 2009 because like I, when I work with people, you're with me for life. Like for life. You're, yes. I, yeah, it's not, you're not going anywhere. And I, and it's not only, be, and one of the group chats I have are two designers I hired at like one of my first jobs, my two of my best friends, Neither one of them are in design anymore because that's not what their path was, but they still love design. They still love art, but like, it's not like they're creative director somewhere or art director somewhere. They're one's a teacher and one now works in the state. Oh, major changes, major changes. Like it's not even, well, one's an art teacher, but it's not like graphic design. She's teaching like regular art, like, uh, like actual hands-on art. And it's great because that's where the path led, right? Like, and that's where we always have to look at everything else. Like if I go back to that kid in 1998 and said, listen, you're going to be designing apps 
for cell phones. And then I'd be like, what you talk about cell phones? You mean my Motorola? Like, no, man. Like, ones are the screen. Ones that have a lifetime that you didn't have to keep charged in the car all the time. Um, and you'd be doing, like, smart work, like, doing understanding users and understanding research and, and doing fucking presentation decks. I would have been like, you fucking tripping because we are not doing that. We're going to be creative forever. And I'm like, this is creative. Like, it's a different type of creative. Like, I've had this conversation in my head a bunch as my career progressed on. Like, what would I have thought? Like, even as a graphic designer, like the kid at 22, like, what would he have thought of me not doing print anymore? Like, I still do branding and logos and shit because I love it. Like, I just can't. I'm doing two logos right now, one for a friend of mine and one for uh, another charity. I can't not do that part. But if I tell him, we're not going to be doing this full time. This is your, this is your side, side gig now. You've been, you've been doing design for, for 20 years. How do you keep that? Like excitement, you know, some people, they, they kind of get burnt out and want to switch like careers. And another important thing is uh, one thing that they taught me in college. uh, I was an electrical engineer in mine in computer science was, you know, whatever you learn now, two, two years from now is going to be obsolete. So you're saying before you're talking about print, you know, 20 years ago, cell phone design, iOS, Android wasn't even in, in the picture. But now yeah. if you don't have that skill, it's like, I'm not going to say useless, but you, you definitely have to ramp up your game. So yeah, how do you, there's not as many jobs. how do you stay excited and how do you stay on the cutting edge? Like, do you have resources or how do you stay relevant? over because you, you have to switch it up because it continues yeah. for instance you were saying sketch is dying so now there's something yeah. else so you have to learn those new technologies those new design principles those new everything this is this is where i am a straight up nerd like i now which is so cool the cool that we have now right like i'm a part of slack channels with adobe and Slack uh, and um, and Figma, which is the other UX tool, and Sketch, in their like um, like proto Pro Tools and prototype version Slack channel, so I could interact with the company as much as I can. Before that, I literally just was glued to news. Like I am, I am fifty percent sure I know what new iPhones coming out in a couple weeks. I'm 50% sure I know there's new AirPods and maybe a watch, maybe a new <laughs> iPad. I don't know. M1 Max may come out. Who f- knows? But because we didn't get them in the spring. I'm not getting whatever. Tim Cook got to get the chef. Get that. Yeah, to get these things out. But like, but that's the thing is like, we have to stay on the cutting edge. Like back in, back in the day, I still have my original iPod, the brick ass iPod that only had Firewire that was only available for Mac users. I still have that. Why? Because it's a, it's a piece of art. It's just, uh, it's, it's amazing to see where we've come from like a technology standpoint, but when they did the keynote with the iPhone, right. Blew my mind. And I was like, what could we build for this? Staying on the cutting edges is about like understanding trends, understanding technology. Like even I love seeing like even Android, what Android does. I'm not, I'm an Apple user, of course, but, seeing what the new like Android OS was like, seeing how the Pixel uses it versus Samsung and seeing I've always been that like hunger for information, hunger for what's going on. Like even now, like as I've transitioned into for print work, doing less actual print work, but doing branding, like seeing how logos are done now, seeing how people present their brands and present their companies, 
it's such a dramatic difference than it was 20 years ago. Like, you know, some things could be iconic. The Nike swoosh, iconic, you know, like the Apple logo, iconic, but still changed over time. Like seeing where people go for it, like, and making sure that something feels like it's going to last, you know, it's, there's so much research that's always gone into our job that nobody really talked about. Like even work with developers, right? Like, uh, Back when I worked at Amex, I used to, those poor developers I worked with got flooded, flooded with inspiration from me. Bro, can we do this? Bro, can we do this? I want to do this. This looks cool. Can we do this? And they'd be like, Joe, this is, it's a car detail page. There's, we're not, no, no. Like, but, but, and the worst part was, is that they were also stifled because they wanted to do more. Like they love some of the sites saying like, where are we going to do this? I'm like, I don't know. Somewhere. That's like working into a corner of a page. I don't care. Um, but that's, but that's the thing is like, Hey, never been burned out. Weirdest thing I could possibly say. I know it's a thing. I've heard it's a thing. It doesn't happen to me. Um, never related. To, can't relate to it either. But the reason why I think is because I don't put pressure on it. Right. Like people put so much pressure on themselves. People put so much on themselves to succeed. You know, there's always that there's that age old thing. Like if you enjoy what you do, the money's going to come. Right. Like not that I've not that I don't worry about money because I'm rich or anything. But like I know if I stay true to what I'm going to do and I stay true to the work I'm going to do, as long as I'm having fun producing great work and enjoying myself with what the work I'm doing and the type of things I'm doing, I'm, it's going to, it's going to pay, you know, sometimes in the beginning it doesn't pay, but when you get there, when you really hit your stride, people throw money at you and you're just like, then you have another fucking imposter syndrome thing. Am I worth that much? If I get that money, if I get that money, what the fuck do I have to do? How do I have to, how is this going to like affect me? Like how, like, what do I have to do to, to make this worth it for them? You know, like, but then you sit back and you're like, they like me. They know what I could do. I could do this in my sleep. Let's, let's get at it. You know, it's I, think, like- I think that was an issue that I had initially uh, before I made my first year of making six figures a while ago. I was almost afraid to make that much money because it seemed like this astronomical number. Uh, I worked uh, in college. I worked for this cooperative education program. I worked in Coco, Indiana for Delco Electronics, and they were paying me 56000 as like a 17-year-old kid in college. So I was basing all my numbers on that. And you hear yep. about the celebrities and people making millions. And But when I came to New York and, you know, I started getting to the tech field and I just assumed, you know, 80 was good or 90 was good. Then yep. when, it start, when it got to 100 and people was like, oh, how much do you want? And that was, I think, was the most challenging question anyone could ever ask me. It's like, I I guess that is the one question I should ask myself before I walked in this door. So I would have mentors who would tell me, hey, think of whatever number you want, go 20, 30,000 higher and let them tell you no and come down. I have gone into interviews in the past where I will give a number in my head is so astronomical and they don't even flinch. They're like, oh yeah, we can yeah. do that. I was yeah. like, wait, did you hear me? Let me try this again. 
I would like <laughs> two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand base, yeah, plus whatever bonus. Yeah, we can. De- yeah, we can definitely do that. Uh, we have uh, two or three positions. Uh, you know, after you coding challenge and everyone else, <laughs> we can definitely. I was like, I'm not even making half that right now, and you're not even flinching when I give you that number. So the the imposter syndrome is definitely real, and it's one of those things you have to start to evaluate and really become confident in your worth. Now, and also, you know, know what the market value is. Yes. Like there are tons of resources out there that'll tell you how much money you should be making for the position you're in. Like that's where one of the things as a resource came to me is that I was so afraid to ask for more money. I was like, I'd be like, like 90 to 105. And they'd be like, oh, that's it? Like. That's the exact response. You're like, oh, can I take it back? Can we do a do-over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you, there's been so many times that I that I either, and that's and that's my own, right? Like that's that's our own confidence in what we can do, and how we like what our worth is. Like we know our good, we know we're fantastic at our jobs. But when it comes to putting a number to our worth in the beginning, like now it's like I'll just yell out numbers and people be like, (laughs) hi, cool. But in the beginning, I was just like, I didn't know, I didn't know I was worth that much. And then I take a job that I would be paid less than everybody else that's in my same level, and I'd find out from like going out to a happy hour, and someone would be like, "Oh, I make fifty grand more than you," and I'd be like, "Oh my god, I'm going to murder you!" Like, um, but that's not—it's not on them. They did exactly what's right. They—they they got what their value was. I sat back and was like, "Well, you know." Maybe I can do this much. Like, no, it's like you have to command that. And that's what I tell as I mentor and these, and I have like people who are straight out of boot camp and college and they're getting these job offers. Like they are, I tell them to demand how much they're worth. And they're, they're like me They're at that time. I was like, mousy, like you don't want to, you don't want to be like, I want this amount of money. And they will be like, listen, that's too expensive. You're not worth it. And you know, then that's the, that's the dagger. Is that when you say a number and they say that they won't pay that much because it's not worth it for that position or when they give you a range and you know you're on the higher end of the range. And they say, yeah, but we don't think we should start you at that. I'd be like, well, then you're going to find another guy because I'm not going to I'm not going to take less. You know, I know what I'm worth. I know what fair market is for a creative director or a director of UX in New York City at a company of this size at. You know, and it's, 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 it's something that you educate yourself with. Like, and I think that's also everybody now has so many tools to educate themselves correctly where we were just like, maybe a recruiter told you a, a range and yes. you're like, Oh, that's what I should ask for. Or like you maybe found like a page on, on the web somewhere, but it was just like general terms. It wasn't scaled up for New York standard of living, which is now we're number one most expensive city in the world. Yeah. Oh, the world. Good for. Uh, I think. Oh, I think of the U.S. Probably. I assume the world because you know. Yeah, I know. Whenever I talk to any, whenever I talk to anybody else, they're like, "Oh my God, no, we don't have to pay that much in rent." And I'm like, oh my God, like, 
No, tell and, me more uh, how your taxes are on thirty grand. <laughs> now you were saying you were in some of these groups for Slack with like Adobe and Figma and some of these. Like that's yeah. one of your resources where you can be into the proto. Are there any other type of resources that someone in the UX creative uh, world can kind of go to? Are you? Are there books? Are there videos? Are there oh meetups? Tons, tons. Well, meetups. That's the thing that I kind of love. Like, so one of the things that I'm going to, I'm going to quick plug the mentoring group that I'm, that I'm Absolutely. a part of. Uh, yeah. Uh, because they're just, they've just done so much since the pandemic. And I think that's really one of the key things. I, I'm going to call this a turning point for all of our jobs. Right. Um, so it's the ADP list, the amazing design people's list. And it's like adplist.org. Um, this guy, Felix and James created it. They got backing from like Envision right away. It was fantastic. And basically what they originally wanted to do was, give a space for people who were looking for jobs who got displaced during the pandemic. You can get, you can post your resume, you can look for other people to network with. And then very quickly it pivoted to mentoring and it became this way to communicate with people from a all over the world, which was amazing. Uh, B with anybody in any type of industry or level or gender or, like seeking seeking assistance in anything you want and there's so many people there that that's one of my favorite places now because during the pandemic because i couldn't go anywhere and i'm up for 21 hours a day i opened up my mentoring sessions starting at 6 a.m because i'm up at five every day i don't know why i wish my body would tell me why and closed them at like 11 or 12 depending on like the day and like how i figured it I get bookings from people from India and Singapore and China and Japan and Europe and Ireland and, uh, and the UK. And it's like, for starters, I was doing it and I'm like, is there anybody in New York that wants to talk to me? Anyone local? Maybe you can grab some coffee, like two regular people? Like, no, it was from everywhere. Like California, tons of people from California, um, Seattle. It was, it was amazing because without this platform, without the pandemic, without everything else I would have, I would never meet these people. Right. I would never have the reach. I would, I would never be able to impact the lives of people that the way I have and then flip it the other way. Now meetups from all different types of leaders and companies, and they're just all over the place and they're, they're all online. And if you register for them and you miss it because you're in a, you're in a different time zone, they have a recorded. They send you a recording. So you get to watch it. Like, all these resources have come out and it's been so cool to kind of see it. And then on top of it, there's Slack chat, tons of Slack channels. Like um, one of my friends sent me a list that was like literally just all design Slack channels. And I had to limit myself because I realized I was living in Slack. <laughs> there was no tomorrow. Um, and it's just, it's all right there. I'm, we're planning an event in New York. We were planning an event. Well, I said we still are. They're going to push it back due to like, you know, Delta variant. Um, and, you know, the world's still ending. Everything's burning. Um, but like, uh, I want to do an in-person event. Like, I want people to get together and talk and network and bullshit with each other and just enjoy the company we have. Eventually, when everything gets back to normal, that's going to happen. But it's also going to be closed to just people in your area. You know, like, so it's that, it's that kind of weird air, weird thing where it's like, which is better. Like, I love the human contact. I love talking to people and interacting with people. 
But also, I love to be able to talk to somebody in Singapore about their design problems, which are surprisingly exactly like mine. Right. Like the exact same, the exact same bullshit happens all over the world, which is so funny. It's not, people think it's like, this is just a a US thing or a New York thing. It's not. I'm like, we all have problems with a coworker that doesn't know how to communicate or a developer that, that is to me about how I set my files up. You know, like it's, but that's the cool thing, right? Like that's, that's where the resources have exploded during the pandemic. You know, most of us may, just go remote fully. And what is that world going to look like? Like how we're going to be working with people from all over the country too. Like it's not going to keep, you know, you don't have to hire all your team from New York if, if your office is in New York. And then it brings out like, especially from the UX side. One of the things I've always done is I, um, most companies are like male dominated. We know it. We're two dudes. We hear it. We know it. Um, so I've only built teams with women primarily because we needed a diverse like pool of information. Like, how are you going to tell me, like I designed bicycles for a while. How are you going to tell me we're going to design women's bikes with a bunch of male bike nerds? <laughs> like, exactly. One of them was married, only one. So there was one woman that he could bounce ideas off of. Then what? So I built a team of six women and guess what? They all came from different economic backgrounds, social backgrounds. Their ideas were different. Some were more sporty. Some were more feminine, like finding that middle ground, taking that creative and just like harnessing it because we need to balance it out. Even at Amex, Amex was the same thing. It was a primarily male dominated area. There was a lot more, there was only male designers at the time. And I'm like, there are women who have credit cards. I believe a lot of them. <laughs> shop i've heard things i don't know um and i believe they would and in the midst of like me hiring these women they, they decided to do a rose gold card i'm like who are you pitching a rose gold card to i'm sure it's not all men like some dudes will get it because it does it was it did look really nice um but that's a whole other thing but like we're you know we're doing these things but you're trying to have a one-side personality of data and insight you can't do that so that's a whole other diatribe about like the diversity and inclusion and how, you know, unfortunately for some reason, the UX team and the developers seem to be the most empathetic out of a corporate structure. How does that happen? I can I see know. that. Magic. Like we're the only ones that are just like, you know, Hey, somebody, this is somebody's pronoun. And we're like, all right, no problem. We got it. And then never make a mistake outside of like maybe a random time here and there, but then there's like, everybody else is just like, well, him, you should go get him. No, they're not a him. They're a them. They're like, pay attention. Like, it's not that hard. Like if you have that big of a problem, just use their name. Like right. if you can't do a pronoun, if that's so hard for you, use a fucking name. Like you don't have to call me. He, you can just call me Joe and I'll just be Joe. I don't give a Um, But that's the thing is it's like, I've realized over time like that's something that also like we excel in so well, like understanding each other or understanding, you know, like the whole design development relationship is so clutch for companies. Absolutely. Like it's just people silo them and then put a product person in between where you go, Hey, so the developer said they can't do this. Well, what exactly did they say? Well, they said it can't be done. I'm like, did you give them, all the options and the questions I gave you. Yes. 
Did you? Let's go. Let's go take a walk. Let's go meet them. Let's go see what's going on. You know, and I think it's just one of those things that like communication is so important in a workplace and camaraderie, like going back to like even how my management style with the designers, like I had no problem talking to developers or product people about their careers because I'm not here just to manage my team. I'm here just to be, I'm a resource. Like I've been through the, the trenches of everything. Like it, that's also what people, I think when they look for mentors inside a business, you, your mentor doesn't always have to be somebody who is in your industry. Like if you want to learn how to deal with corporate, especially like fintech corporate, which is a totally different experience. I would totally, definitely tell totally you different. totally different. Like your mentor there may be somebody who is in an SVP doesn't do design, but they'll teach you how to stave office politics, not tell everybody to fuck off in a day. Apparently that's not a thing everybody goes for. Um, you know, how to present work differently, you know? And I think it's, I got some great tools from a guy, Mike, that I worked with at Amex that he would, <laughs> whenever I'd say something stupid or say something like Joe-ish, um, he'd be like, so it wasn't bad. But if you have to present this to somebody else, I would just tone down that part. And I said, oh, which part? He's like, well, everything between you saying that users are stupid. And I'm like, gotta love, gotta love somebody on a motorcycle just rolling through our interview. Jesus Christ. I know it's sunny out, guys. Get on your motorcycles with your small penises. Um, but like, that's the thing is it's, finding what you really want to accomplish and find people who specialize it. You know, it's like even the people that I mentor, some of them are graphic designers, some of them are UX designers, some of them just want leadership experience. Some of them are looking for general guidance. Some of them are straight out of college and don't know what the fuck to do next. And I said, build a case study, build a portfolio. And they're like, that's not helpful. <laughs> now you were talking about uh, mentorship. I know you do mentorship. You've had mentorship. Mm -hmm. I've always felt that's a very important part of growth because someone else will always know something that you don't know and need to know. Uh, yeah. Are there, there's some people that you could pinpoint that are your mentors, rather you know them, you know of them, are there people you look up to that might be in some faraway land or are you more of like in the direct approach? Are there some people that you could pinpoint that have definitely had an influence on your career? So there have been honestly two people that have been had a huge influence on my career. Um, one was at the beginning and one is now, which is really weird. The rest, in, I basically had to figure it out on my own and just basically find out that I was doing something right or wrong by up, like as most of us do. But right in the beginning, right? Like I had this first job working for Gap Inc. Um, I took the job. I was working in a store, found a job listing for like a graphic designer, applied for it, got it. It was an overnight shift because back in the day, they used to do overnights where people would put together um, the, the lookbooks and do mock-ups and just come up with like a bunch of work and they would have a, a later shift. Nobody does this anymore, which is amazing to me. Um so I had this art director who would see me in the first half of my day and then he would leave and then I would be off on my own tangent for a while. He met me and I started talking because Lord knows I never stopped. And he said, come with me. I said, all right, fine. So we sat in a meeting together and they were talking about a bunch of, and I was just like, 
do I say anything? What do I do? So I wrote, started writing down notes and slid them over to him. And there were ideas. And he would just look. And he'd just look at me. Like, oh, all right, wasn't a good idea. But, and then afterwards, he would explain to me why my idea wasn't, wouldn't work. I wouldn't say it wasn't good. It just wouldn't work. Um, and then one day he was like, I wrote a note, slid it over to him, and he goes, oh, Joe has a good idea. Uh, yeah, so what if we do like A, B, and C? And he was, and everybody was like, oh, you know what? That's a, that's a pretty good, that sounds good. That's actually, that'll work. And I'm like, okay. And then put my head back down, <laughs> writing notes. Um, and he told me, he's like, listen, he's like, you have the passion for this. He goes, you have the energy. He's like, you are outspoken. He's like, I want you to come and work with me and shadow with me. And like, really, and this is like my first real job. Like, this is something insane because I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about being a manager at that point. I was thinking about just getting a job. And he was training me on how to be a manager, training me to talk to people, training to how to understand and listen. And it just went from there. And uh, I ended up getting laid off because money. And uh, I kept in contact with him for a little bit. And then he ended up passing away, which was very sad. Um, but that, But that moment in time that we had, started that career. Like, then I was like, I have to be in leadership. Like I can do the work and I'll sit back and do the work, but like, I can't not like inspire people, which sounds so right. goofy saying that out loud. I can't not drive people's engagement and uh, make people love this as much as I do. And then now I got hired at this ad agency in Manhattan, Havas, if you know, for anybody who knows it. Um, and my boss now like, I feel like I spent the years between that guy and now being in, like, uh, abusive relationships with management to the point that this new boss has been so nice to me and she's been so uplifting and caring and everything that it's so uncomfortable. Like, I've told her many times, I'm like, you know, I appreciate you being this nice, but I don't believe it. I'm like, I don't think this is okay. I think you should treat me like, and she's like, what? And I said, yeah, I'm like, all this niceness and all this support is really making me uncomfortable. And she goes, who hurt you? <laughs> I'm like, CEOs from so many years. Like, but that's the thing is that like, that's what a good manager does. That's what a good mentor does. Like she, we have a check-in every week and she asks me how I'm doing. And she goes, I'm going to stop asking you how you're doing. Cause you always say great. And everything is good. She goes, I want to pivot it to what can I help you with? And I was like, oh, you smart. Like, and as, as, an, as a leader, like figuring out what I need, like figuring out what I want from growth is just so interesting. So she's, I've never worked at an ad agency before. So she's basically teaching me how an ad agency works, which is just fascinating on its own. And, um, it's just, it's just a new level of growth that I'm getting. And she's like, you know, when we did our annual review, uh, my first year at the end of the first year, it was, I was, she was like, listen, she goes, you are relentless on yourself. She goes, I don't even have half of these criticisms that you wrote down. And I'm like, she goes, you felt like you didn't onboard fast enough. She goes, your first day you were contributing in a meeting. I'm like, yeah, but that was just common sense. And she goes, no. She goes, you understood the project and you started contributing. She goes, that's, you were onboarded right away. And I was like, yeah, I feel like I can do better. And she goes, that's insane. She goes, nobody can do better than that. 
nobody can do better than that first day being on the ball. And I'm like, well, I guess you're right. <laughs> but that's the thing. And she even said, she goes, the things you are upset about and things you want to work on are never criticisms I would have for you. And the criticisms I do have for you are these. And she goes, and I think you've automatically addressed them within right before we had this meetings, but I still have to read them out because they're in the file. So let's just go through them. And I was like, all right. But that's the thing is that um, I always feel like we're our biggest critic. Like, and I'm always going to find a mentor, like finding Catherine the way I have, like in this weird ass way of finding myself into an ad agency has found me also saying like, maybe I should change some ways that I'm a leader. I'm, and, I, and I've done, like, I'm so self-aware. I, like, hit my old team up asking them, hey, do you guys feel supported? Like, when you guys went to the next job, were you just like, oh, my God, it's so much better to be away from Joe? <laughs> and they're like, no. They're like, you did things, like, support-wise that we are missing now. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I did it right. I'm not, I'm not horrible at this. But it does. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's one of those things where I want so much for it. Like, I want to be better. And I constantly want to be better. And I think that goes back to that question before about, like, staying up to date and staying on trend and staying on. Like, I'll never be okay with not learning. Like, even learning, like, I don't code anymore, right? But learning how code works Definitely has to like help learning me. how React works. Yeah, and it, and it, and you know what it does it takes the pressure off a poor developer that the deal that has to deal with me because I'm building components for them and I'm building a design system for them. Like even on the smallest projects, I have I'm working on a I'm working on a project now. We're doing a physical product. We're doing like a water tracking app, a water tracking pad that uh, combines with an app to uh, to like basically build healthy habits. Listen. I'm drinking water here. This is not all the water. I don't drink water at all at home. This is just a fluke um, because I'm horrible at it. But a guy I used to work with, he hit me up. He wanted to build this device. I helped him with the design of the device. Then I started building the app and building the website and all this stuff. And the guy who's coding all this stuff out was like day one. He's like, you have a design system tab here? And I said, I do. And he opened it up. There was textiles. There was logos and icons and colors and a palette and the whole nine. And he was like, Oh wow. He's like, I can get to work right away. And I'm like, yeah, I want, you know, I want you to, I want you to, you know, have all the tools. He goes, just so you know, nobody does this. And I'm like, well, they should. I'm yeah. like, I'll teach them to do this. But like, but that's the thing is because if I do my job, right, it, it's better for a developer. It's better for user testing. It's better for, you know, everybody down the line, it's better for marketing people. If an identity is built correctly and you have an idea for like what the color scheme means versus just picking out colors, it helps a tone of voice, right? Like, so it's like if everybody does their job to the best part of their ability and not half-asses it, everybody's golden. I love how you're very analytical about your, your mentor is basically stating certain things and you were kind of introspective and going back to your old team, like, was I doing this right? And and they gave you a result. You're you're doing this one thing with the the, the team now, where you're creating this this uh, design system that they're like, we've never had this before. You're making our life a lot easier. 
So you've had a way of seeing what works, what doesn't work, what you've done wrong. Is there anything in your industry that you feel is a, a, a myth from the outsiders looking in that you would say <laughs> that, 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 that needs oh, to be man. debunked? <laughs> Where do I start? Uh, so a UX designer is not a visual designer. A visual designer is not a graphic designer and a graphic designer will not build you a website. Um, and for some reason, none of us are IT. So don't ask me why your iPhone's doing a thing that you're doing. Don't ask me why your MacBook's broken. I don't know. Actually, I do know, but I, that's not my job. Um, <laughs> the on-running joke in my, and, and I'm sure this is what most people are in creative or even in, um, even in development, I'm sure like, my mom had no clue what I did. 20 years. 20, 20 years I've been doing this. Up until the day she passed away, had no clue what I did. She told people I was in advertising. She told people I was in IT. She told people I make bicycles, which is true. Um, she told people I make clothing, which is also true. But it's not my job. She said, at one point, I said, listen, I had it. I put an icon on our home screen that linked to my website. And I said, if you ever have a question, click the button. And she will click the button and it'll go to my website. And then if anybody has any questions, you could just go through the navigation. Just have that. Um, still no idea. But then it's like, even like, as we, as we work at enterprise, like one of the the funnest parts and not fun parts with like working in enterprise is that there's so many layers that the term UX or user experience or UI or UI designer or visual designer all get lost in the mix. I have to constantly, and a lot of us have to constantly educate people. Like there's a reason why I need a hot jar account to understand the heat map of the site because I'm not, doing visual design i'm doing ux design so i have to understand how the users browse i have to understand why they drop off and why do they drop off and what's the problem and why are they doing this and why it's not and they're just like but why but that's that's my job like uh i've spent a lot of time especially during the pre-pandemic and now um working with recruiters and doing like little lunch and learns with them explain to them the difference between ux ui and then the, all the fun that comes with it, like AR, VR, and how that falls into our into our realm. But teaching them not only how to find candidates, but what to look for in their personalities, what to look for in their skill sets, what to, how to hire them, like understanding from when they, like ask them about their case study. If you're a recruiter, walk through somebody's case study because you're going to listen to how they present their work and you're going to be like, this might not work for my client, you know, or oh my God, you're great. Like you have to, you have to work with us. Like it just, there's so much education that has to go on, on, on our side that as much as it is, like I said, very much entertaining and fun and like gets people engaged and you kind of with them and, and yammer on and um, UX designers are notorious for being very animated and excited about their work. Uh, it's because we have to talk about it. And when we do talk about it, we get people on board. You know, we just, you know, it's that education out, education in. And also, you know, I always use the term, don't talk down to people, talk up to them. 
because you don't ever want to make somebody feel stupid. You know, for years and years and years and years, there was always the, the IT guy personality. Oh man, there's something wrong with my computer, but I don't want to call the IT guy because he's going to make me feel stupid because it's not going to, whatever's happening isn't going to happen now. Like that's the worst feeling in the world. And the worst thing is like the IT guys are not mean by any stretch of the imagination. They're great guys. Like, yeah, I would be pissed off too if I had to tell somebody be like, hey, why isn't my mail working? And they'd be like, well, it's not open. <laughs> you just have to click on Outlook and it'll boot up. And like, yeah, that would drive me nuts. And it would be very hard not to be condescending saying it. But like, but like, even, but I would never want to, I'd never want to hire people who have that type of personality. I never want to hire people that don't want to help people understand. Like, sometimes it gets frustrating because you tell somebody something a thousand times, they don't listen. We've all been in relationships. We know how that is. Um, but at work, like it should be, there's that level of empathy again, right? Understanding what a project ma- product manager goes through, understanding what a project manager goes through, understanding what a developer goes through. Like that's where agile kind of helps us, right? Like it gives us like a structure and story pointing and understanding like what a workload looks like for somebody. You don't like waterfall? But also like, not that I don't like waterfall. It has its place. <laughs> Just not in giant development schemes. <laughs> Waterfall is great if you like have to bake a cake or put together a small event, sign tasks out, and see how it goes. Like, um, but yeah, but that's where it is. It's like there's just so much that goes into it, and I probably trailed off into a totally different area with this one. But like, yeah. <laughs> No, it's just more about just debunking some of the uh, the myths about your industry. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely de- I derailed way far away from that, but I think it is very I think it is very true that you know, there like it is it is that education up. Like we have to educate people on what we do, and you know because we don't want them also to have misconceptions of what what our capabilities are. Like, yeah, I'll make a design for your friends bridal shower while well, I'm sitting at work and I'm a UX designer because I have the capabilities to do it. But don't think that this is my job. Like my job is to be, is to understand users and their behavior. And um, if I was in a visual design job, totally fine. But if my visual design job is to just do the visual design for web or apps, that's where it ends. I'm not going to be doing the print ad work that you guys want me to do, you know, or, you know, I could insist in banner ad creation because there is a level. Oh, and then there's the whole, God, the entire thing about taking a turn on this one. Um, like the mindset of work is different. So if you're like now where I work in an agency, there is print designers, there's branding designers, and then there's visual designers for web. Accessibility is huge in our industry. Yes, you know, very color contrast. I'm a colorblind designer. So oh, it's something that, that hits home for me. Yeah. Red, green, can't see nothing. That's why all my clothes are in order upstairs based off of how I remember how I ordered them. Uh, Cause I know I have a couple of red shirts and a couple of green shirts and they don't stand next to each other. Cause then I'll never know what I got. Um, <laughs> but like accessibility between understanding how screen readers work and understanding how um, people, uh, color, color contrast is such a big thing and how, we code things correctly so it'll be accessible. Working with print designers that don't have to worry about accessibility, 
like explain to them that like you really can't put that color on top of that color because people might not be able to see it or it won't pass contrast or especially when it's like a web banner because that's in the the realm of the web. Like if that was a print thing, still fine. I won't be able to see it if it's in print, but like I guess we'll just find that out as I walk through Manhattan and being like, hey, what's that say up there? I just see like a, a Y. I'm like, is the rest in on a different color? Yeah, Joe, you can't say it. That's great. But like if you're working in, in visual and you're like you're doing stuff for the web, like you have to have that education. And that's where like even within our own industry, keeping ourselves educated. You know, talking to each other. Like I think it's also like there's a stigma of being like, oh, they're just the web people and we're the print people. Like, no, we're all creative. We're taking the stuff that you create from a brand perspective and turning it into a web experience. So we should have continuity. And, you know, it's, that's it's, one thing it's I fun can, because some people are down for it. That's one thing I can definitely tell you because I've been a you know, developer for two decades now, same thing. And I've worked with designers at all these different companies. And I was that ignorant guy that just assumed all of y'all were the same. I literally could go to any. <laughs> I could go to anyone that had design or UX, UI, or vi- y'all were all the same. I would go to someone and they literally would look at me like, "Why are you asking me?" I'm like, "You're a designer." Yeah, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's even more so now. Like there are people, especially the younger generation, like us older people, transition from probably visual design or graphic design into UX UI. But then there's these young kids who started with, uh, or what they call it, uh, human interface communications or human communication interface, like HCI, like basically UX work. Like they don't touch visual at all. Like their whole thing is research. Like their whole mindset is research. So like, even though they're a UX designer, like they ended a wireframe. Like right. they legit will be like, you'd be like, hey, can you just like apply the design system to this? And they'd be like, no. <laughs> well, I'll try. And then you hear tried. You're like, oh shit. Um, but that's the thing. Is like, but that's their job. Like their mind is not thinking about the visual end. Like even when they write their case studies, like this is why I love doing these case study things. Like they'll have the finished product. And they'll write in their thing, like a visual designer took over and this is what the finished product is. And I'm like, can you like talk to it at all? And they're like, mm, not really. And I'd be like, okay, it's honest. It's totally fine. I don't need you to do visual design. I need to hear about the research and the uh, competitive analysis and the qual and quant studies and, you know, um, how you built the wireframes and the componentry and the interactions and all this stuff. Go nuts. Tell me all about that. Like... The ones that do both, like you could see where they're more comfortable in how they present their right. work. Correct. Like you'll see whether maybe they're not as strong in the visual side and then they'll talk about the visual like super quick and I'll be like, oh, but like what made you guys choose those colors? What made you like choose round buttons compared to square buttons because everything else has square edges and they just be like, hmm. well, it was a joint decision. <laughs> so like, joint decision by who? This is the point where I, I, I kind of switch it up a little bit. So I, I ask everyone, 
if you and I could switch places, you were the interviewer, I was the interviewee, is there any question that I didn't ask that you would have liked me to ask? Or is there a question that you would have liked to ask me? I like this. This is this is a good question or a good scenario. Uh, no, I think I, I like the way I like the way this went. Obviously, I think me and you have uh, we know each other pretty well, so we know how to how to back and forth about our jobs. Um, and I'm always I'm always this, I'm like this hap- this happened for a reason. I don't know. Uh, I have nothing that I probably would have asked in addition. I love to hear how you're doing. Um, and I think one of the things that, uh, as we talk, we touched on so well, let me rephrase that. You asked a question. I answered back with a fucking bevy of shit. Um, I did not <laughs> by any chance stay on target. Uh, maybe cattle pro- set this to a cattle prod where you could be like, Joe's not talking about the right share anymore. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Um, at least he didn't talk about star Wars. Uh, but, <laughs> um, I think that's the thing. I think as we have these conversations, right, I think it's so important to always be introspective. And that's why I like this question. I think this is why <laughs> looking back at what my perspective would be on this. And yeah, no, I, I think I think you knock it out of the park. I think you always knock it out of the park when you do whatever you do, because you're just so great at your job and you're great with people, which is just such a beautiful thing. Um, I guess one of the things I'll ask you is actually kind of similar to a question with me when it comes to your side in development, right? Uh, how often the people ask you to fix their iPhones <laughs> to fix their iPhones? I'm actually kidding. I'm kidding. Like, but oh, I was about to say, cause I actually do get that question from parents of our age and up. Yes. Of course. I, I, I had to teach my, I had to teach my mom how to send text messages. She thought that was the coolest thing ever. Uh, email was like alien. I is, mean, completely is her, is her phone Martian. Font sent to is the phone font sent to like giant where you look at it and you're like, oh my god, you only can fit four letters on the screen. Uh, she probably would have if she knew where to find it. <laughs> so what, whatever the, her phone came with, that's exactly mm, the way it is right now. Fantastic. There's nothing better than. Um, watching some old person's phone, like from a distance, where you could actually read their full conversation from like across the subway. Be like, oh my god, that man's writing some really filth to his girlfriend or wife and or mistress. And I don't know if that's a, it's like a 500 pixel tall emoji of an eggplant. Wow. Um, no, but like when it comes to like your side of working in development and working in teams, right? Do you feel the management style of fun and creative and not overly, I don't want to say disciplined, but not like being like, if you don't get this done, you're, then you're going to get fired. Like being something that's more relaxed and open works in the development realm. Absolutely. Um, so from a development, the thing is from a development standpoint is literally like trying to solve a, a Rubik's cube or some type of puzzle. So if you can think clearly on whatever the problem is to come up with a solution, then it's a lot easier for you to come up with that solution. But if the person is complete, is always stressed about, oh man, my manager is going to ask me about such and such, or 
oh, I hope this code base is, is, you know, the code is clean enough, or I hope I can get through this PR, or I hope I can. So there's all these stress elements that if you're working with someone where their response is more of a, I've been where you are, chill out. We hired you. We went through the whole interview process. We know you can do your job. So I'm basically yes. going to work with the mentality that I'm going to give you 12, 15, 16, 20 points of work for this sprint. And I believe you're going to get it done. If you have any questions, absolutely come speak to me or one of the seniors and maybe we can peer program or bounce some ideas off of each other. But at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to get the work done. So it's almost the mentality of, I give you the respect until you prove me otherwise. So I'm going to assume you can do the work until you prove to me you can't. And then when you start creating too much of technical debt, where I have to come yes. in and start doing your job with, for you, that's when the problem comes. But until we get to that point, I'm the most hands-off delegation. Here's the project. If you need me, I got you. But I'm not going to be micromanaging you. And I felt yeah. that that has, my people come in uh, a lot more clear-minded and they want to come in each day because they know they have a certain amount of work and they know I'm the most you'll ever get from me is, hey, hey, Joe, how's it going? Everything good? Needing yeah. help with anything? You're pretty clear on the tickets that you have. And the moment they give me the thumbs up, I just assume two weeks from now on Friday that I'm going to see an empty queue in Jira. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the whole, you said something that is so important, which is I hired you. I, I know you're good enough for this. I don't know. Can I tell you how many designers I've worked with that got jobs and then afterwards they're like, I'm not cut out for this. Like I'm, or I'm struggling or I'm afraid to tell somebody something. I'm like, you got this job on your own merit. I'm like, you know, you're good at what you do. I'm like, stop overthinking it. I think that's something that we do so much. And it goes back to that not being worthy of like, if you earn this job and you beat out probably dozens and dozens of other people for this job. Absolutely. That means you earned it. That means you're good enough, regardless of you getting in that setting. And there's always a little bit of an onboarding process to working in a new environment. Chill out. Like, just enjoy it. Absolutely. We're our own obstacle. We definitely are. And I think that uh, that's one of the points when I, I mentor people who are especially junior or mid-level. That's one of the things I kind of focus on is helping them build them, their confidence that they're good enough to. Mm -hmm. They may not be where they need to be right now, but they they have the skill set, the potential, the excitement, the energy, the mindset to get to the next level. My goal is to train you and mentor you so that. I can fill all the gaps where you're missing. So that one day, my goal is I want you to replace me because if you can get to where I am, then that means I have to go up. And the thing is, if I can yeah, develop right. an entire team of me's, the company is going to notice why is everyone that works for James keep getting promoted, keep killing the job. Their projects are, everyone is complimenting this team's work. We need to move James somewhere else to give him more responsibilities to help the company grow. And we need to get those people that he's built up to get to where he is because he has some type of system that we need to figure out. And that's one of the, the strategies that I've kind of built all of my teams on from all the companies that I've worked with.
that's that's a hundred percent true. That's exactly how it should be. And it's it's the accountability, right? It's like we're accountable for them, for their growth, because as they grow and they go to kick ass, that's gonna reflect on us as leadership, but it's also gonna help us move up. Like I don't wanna be in one position forever with one set of team. Like I wanna be bumped up. I want them to be bumped up. I want, you know, one of them to take the torch from me and lead in their own way. Like they don't have to lead in my way. And I always say that, like, um, when I have it, when I had the younger team at Amex, I'm like, listen, for some reason, unbeknownst to me, I can tell corporate people to fuck off and use phrases like head and show and it all. That may not be your approach. Maybe you find your own way to say that. Um, and I'm like, I don't know if it's just cause I'm a big dude. That's funny. And everybody don't mind, but like, but you find your own voice. And when you find your own voice, that's where the leadership comes in. And that's where you find your style. Like even as a leader, like my, my style has always kind of been the same, but my approach has been different as I've gotten older. Like it's been, it's always been warm and uplifting and family. And, you know, I feel like in fast and furious all about family. Um, but, (laughs) but that's the thing is that, but the way I approached it, right? Like the way I, talk to people and work in the structure and build their plans up changed, especially as the industry changed. Like I don't look at a graphic designer and a UX designer as the same way that they're going to grow forward. Like some of the, some of the ideals and responsibilities change. Um, but it doesn't, there's the core pieces, which is like leadership and accountability and ownership. And those pieces are the pillars, but like how they do it and what they do are totally different. So it's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Getting older is weird. Getting older is weird in a lot of ways. My my hair went gray. Um, you know, I, I've, can't I have a couple. As I used to. I have like one or twos there. A couple, but you you can't find them. I mean, you literally, I literally have to go into and and look for them. He's like, oh, there it is. I'm like, I'm I'm, I'm still. I, I, I picture you staring in the mirror, waiting to see like a third one pop up. And you're like, like oh a, no, game's over. This game's over. Then you gotta start getting the hair dye out. So I like to take this moment. I like to take this moment for you know everyone to just kind of talk about what are the things that you're kind of working on. What are the things? How can people connect to you online? Just kind of your moment to shine. Just to talk about yourself and your projects. What would you like people to know that you're working on, or how to reach out to you? Oh, God, um, I'm not one to really <laughs> boast about myself, which is surprising how much I talk. Uh, but you can find me on Instagram at Joe Cahill, uh, Twitter at Joe Cahill Talks. No surprise. Um, and that those are my main social media channels. Uh, I'm always working on something fun. Uh, like I said, I'm working on a logo for a friend of mine. I have the Gajo Pad, which is coming out. I have a couple of other projects that I can't technically talk about, but they should be they should be fun. They should be big. Um, and, you know, the main thing is, is, you know, you, you pick a career because you love it. You enjoy what you do. Just fucking do that. Like, uh, I met plenty of people who are in a job that they hate and they have a passion for something else. They have a passion for creative work. Like, find a way to get to that level. Find a way to the job that you're in and go to the job that's going to be ha- make you happy. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's... Uh, I probably should have a book done at some point, but I just, I can't write because I write how I talk. And if you can imagine an editor going through 400 lines of, um, that would be a little much for them. 
but yeah, you can find me on the ADP list as well, adplist.org. You can search me and Joe Cahill and then joecahill.com, but that's just nonsense that I just throw it up there. And if you need me to do your wedding, I can do your wedding. It's always fun. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, just enjoy some life, guys. That's all. That's it. And here is the last question that I ask everyone on the show. My main thing of the whole In the Woods brand is kind of your career is not going to be a happy path from beginning to end. You're going to have your ups and lows. There are going to be some times you're going to yeah. bang yourself over the head and you're not going to want to do this. What was one of your darkest moments in your journey? Uh, rather be, you know, whatever it may be. And how did you kind of cope and overcome it? So I'm going to make this relatively easy because it, it's less of a, a work journey and more of a, a global journey in my life. So I was married at one point. Um, I got divorced. And after the divorce, I realized that what I was doing in the, like, the person I was trying to be there was not my fullest potential. And uh, that's always goes with a partner. You find a partner you're with, they're going to, they're going to support you. They're going to kick you up. They're going to make sure that you're always there. And it took that moment for me to say, fuck, what else can I do? How much more can I do? And I unleashed on the world. Like it was amazing that if I look at myself now and I look at myself in 2010, 10 years ago, ish 2011 years uh clearly math is not my thing uh but there's a different person that evolved between 2010 and 2011 the person that i am now i i would say i got my eyes open like the weirdest part was all the work i did previously i still kicked ass out i still had fun i still loved i still enjoyed but it was always a ceiling Right. I always found a job that I would never go further. Um, and that always that when I look back at it and I always want to go back and kick him in the nuts and say, like, listen, why would you take a job that there's a ceiling? And I knew there was from the moment I got the job. Like, I knew I could only go this far. Never, ever take a job that there's a ceiling. Unless you really need money, because that's a whole other thing. But like, right. take a job that is always going to continuously grow you. Like once I got to the top of that job, I was like, what? all right, I guess I'll do this until I find a new job. Like that's such a feeling. Like I had fun still doing the work, but I think it was now my life is like endless. Granted. Yes. I feel like I'm immortal anyway, but like, it's that feeling of like, I could always find something new. I could always find something that's a bigger challenge. I'm always going to find a different way to the top. Like, even as I look into roles and I wonder, I looked at somebody hit me up for a CCO role and I'm like, do I want to be a chief creative officer? Like, I feel like that's less fun and I'm not there yet. Maybe another 10 years. I don't know. We'll see what goes, but it's always that, like, there's always an evolution. There's always more to do. And even with the industry changing, like I want to get into VR, I want to get into AR, I want to build cool, I want to build more wearables. I want to, the person in pre 2010 would have never had that ambition. He would have had the ambition, but never knew how to get it. Now, what was it that sparked? What was it that physically sparked you to say, you know what, I need to change who I am now to get to what will truly make me a better person, a happier person? I, I think it's. I think I. I use the analogy of like the shackles coming off. Like I, I got like I was. I opened up a door and saw it was light outside. Like I think it was just 
I took a job right after, right after I got divorced, I took a job that I was a senior designer. I was well above everybody's expectation of what I could do. I was kicking ass at what I was doing there. It was like a travel company on Long Island. And right there, when I was there, I was like, man, I could run this team. And I'm like two months into the job. And there was already a director. And I'm like, can I overthrow that person? Like, I immediately wanted to like, let's start a coup. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, I knew at that point that I'm destined for more. I have to be more. I have to do what I can do effortlessly to be more. I definitely understand that because uh, I'm in tech. I've been in tech and people know my story. The reason that I even got into electrical engineering and computer science is I had a physics professor in my senior high school ask me what schools I applied to and were accepted to when Georgia Tech came up on the list. And he's like, you should go to Georgia Tech because you're good at math and science. And that's how I kind of <laughs> went to the, that's how I went to the tech path. But my passion has always been writing, poetry, storytelling. So that's kind of what I've been pursuing now. And tech, I, I'll always have a love for it, but it's yeah. not my my number one when I wake up in the morning, what is the first thing I think of? It's the storytelling and the communication and improving oh. and, and and the nerd factor. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd beyond what anyone, I may seem super professional now, but if you see me, put it this way, I... At one point, I, I owned the number one fighting esports team for Super Smash Brothers in the world. So, for the amount of work that I had to put into, you know, growing that company, I, I started uh, one of the first online esports magazines back in 2008. I was one of the first people that uh, interviewed uh, Tesla way back in the day. So we put we had an interview with a guy named Joe Powers who used to work with them back in the day. We had mm -hmm. that article up for Tesla, and literally like a month or two later, we started seeing Tesla in magazines and stores as the company that was about to like release. So it's like I have always been the tech guy, the manga guy, the comic book guy, the storytelling oh, guy. But tech paid the bills. So I kind of went that route. But tech I, paid I, the bills. Tech definitely paid the bills and like it, it, it was enjoyable. I, I, I love what I do. I, I can definitely not complain. It's still creative. It's just not writing a story creative. By the way, we're going from into the woods to into the home because I forgot to bring my laptop charger and we're going for a straight up walk, which I enjoy knowing that we're at the end of this. We're taking a little, taking a little jaunt and Gary gave me the 3% warning and I was like, oh, I don't want to lose it. Hey, we're back. Sorry about that. Um, he couldn't quite. I didn't quite, make it. He, I didn't he, make it. I tried. Three percent wasn't enough. We we, we didn't gonna, make it. That you know what that is? That's bad UX on the side of Apple by telling me I still had some juice in my battery. And you and actually then cut didn't. Cut me off when I did not. It's okay. Uh, that's fantastic. But that that that's live TV, folks. That's what happens. <laughs> but what I can say, it's always a pleasure. Joe, I can definitely say you'll definitely be a part of my life, my career forever. It, oh, there's absolutely. any company that you work at, there's always going to be those those people that you just click with. If they're there or they're not there, you're always going to keep in contact, see what they're doing, what they're working on, how you can help each other out. And you were definitely one of those guys that I, it was sad to see you go, but I also know it was definitely for for your benefit, for your further growth. And I definitely see all the things you're working on. And I know there's going to be so much more they can be doing. And never know, maybe I'll hit you up on ADP. You can mentor me. 
<laughs> no, it, that's and that sentiment is is just shared here. Like it, there's something about. I've always been one of those people that have been the like I said earlier, like the way things are supposed to happen, the way things are that are supposed to happen. Like I would not, I never regret taking a job because the pivot point of finding that job. And by watch Loki and variants and the whole time stream thing, that's real. Like without, and it's funny because to me getting here, all the other parts that had to happen, like that moment of me having a moment of clarity and moving forward. Like I didn't take many jobs in Manhattan before because I wanted to be closer to home because, you know, wife wanted me around. Now I work in the city a lot more. I work like with teams internationally and all this fun shit because a point had to happen and me taking the job that it brought me to meet James and uh, a million, million other people that I met throughout the, uh, the in rhythm group, like, like I said, you know, the Olive Garden scenario when you hear your family, like it's just exactly the personalities click the, the, especially me and you, like just our entrepreneurial spirit, our ability to want to push ourselves, but not push ourselves in a way that isn't going to make us happy and fulfilled and, you know, try new shit. And, you know, uh, ultimately when it comes to the tech side, build cool. Like that's, you know, it's just the fun, fun part of our job is being able to, like, I'm not gonna lie, I still get this little bit of like, and this goes back to like when I was a print designer, like when I see something I did in a store, or I see something I did on a subway, and you just get like, oh, man, yeah, I did that. Like, even now, like I designed, I designed a bunch of bikes from like 2000, 2006 to 2011 ish. I was like designing bicycles. And when I see them out in the world, like I, I pinpoint them out. Oh, I designed that. Oh, I designed that. My neighbor had a bike that he had from years and years ago. I saw him ride past and I was like, oh, shit, I designed that thing. And he laughed and he was like, uh, what? And I said, yeah. And I have the, I still have all the files because I'm a pack rat, digital pack rat. But it is, it's that, it's that journey. It's that love for what we do, that excitement for what we do. Like as we deploy stuff, like I had somebody send me over a website for a site I made. I designed and did the interactions with like, oh, look how cool this looks. And I was like, I did that. Like, that's the and best feeling, right? It like, really it's is. just. I literally, when I go through Manhattan, if you go to any Ann Taylor Loft store, the iPad on the back count, I was a sole developer that. And I did a yep. complete rewrite of that website. I did the uh, video player. I actually uh, worked on the transition from Flash to uh, the JavaScript video players because they got rid of Flash for all yeah, of Nick, yeah. for all of Nick and Nick Jr. And it's like all these different projects I, I for all these different companies that I work with. And it's it's amazing where I go onto a website and one of my friends may say, oh, my kid's watching, you know, the what's the, the pig from Nickelodeon? Uh, yeah. I can't remember. He, any of those shows. And it's like, oh, are you watching it online? And they're like, yes. I said, well... He's actually watching on the video player that I made. So it's definitely a cool and very fulfilling sensation yeah. to go online or see people with the uh, works for Ralph Lauren who has a Ralph Lauren pro and I worked on that site and direct TV and go and it's 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 definitely a, a great feeling to know that. And the and the and the best part is the work that we do because it's digital, like the reach that we get now. Like the reach. you can have somebody uh 
like one of the, the bike company that me and my friend do together is called Fire Island Bike, right? Fire Island's a small island off Long Island for the people who don't know. Um, that was the word island too many times in a row. Um, but like I, <laughs> the funniest part was like we sell the bikes. We've 2020, 2021, like COVID and shit, like we haven't been able to bring bikes in. But previously to that, like I saw a, my cousin who for some reason didn't know I was a part of the company, even though I post about it constantly. And if they're listening to this, you know, fucking pay attention to what I'm doing. Um, had a t-shirt on. He got the t-shirt for free at an event that he went to. And I was like, I he put it on Instagram and I'm like, yo, where'd you get that shirt from? He goes, oh, I was at this uh, event on uh, in Bayshore on Long Island and they were just giving them away. And I'm like, you know, I do all the design and, me and my friend run that, like run that company. Right. And he goes, no, you don't. And I'm like, are you telling me what I do? But, and, and I have a, a very, very talented, another cousin, like creativity, like runs in our family. I don't even know how that works. Um, I assume drinking runs in our family, but that's just a, just a regular genetic trait. Um, but she does, she's crafty and she does uh, uh, camper makeovers. Right. So she started this uh, company, the happy glamper, restores this can't restore these campers it blows my mind every time she posts something new some rando from amex posted about it and i pulled the double takes i thought it was just her reposting stuff and i was like hold on this isn't my cousin i'm like and i immediately messaged her i said where did you even find this out she goes oh well we were looking for a camper but i seen this this 20 something year old girl who restored these campers i'm like yeah, that's my cousin. I'm like, didn't you notice I follow her too? She goes, oh, I just thought you just follow creative people. And I'm like, fair enough. That does happen. And I follow a bunch of meme pages, but that does no, that doesn't throw up any red flags. But that's, it's like just the touch people have, like the, the we can reach so many people and it's, it's such a wonderful thing. And it just brings so much also like just joy to our lives doing these things and being able to see people appreciate them. Like, especially like where I work at Havas now, they have a whole thing called, me they, they, we build meaningful products, right? Or meaningful design. Like how, like how cool it is that that's our job? Like we build it, we could build experiences for, for money, for, you know, advantages of like promotion and advertising and big fintech companies. But also we get to build tools for people who are disabled. We get to build experiences for non-for-profit. We get to build experiences for like all these, like uh, I'm collaborating with uh, a, a lot of women's groups with everything that's going on, you know, in Texas, Lord Jesus, Texas. Um, but like doing meaningful work, doing work that matters. And, you know, like you said, tech pays the bills. I'll work for FinTech all day. Y'all make, y'all got the money. You guys print the money. Do it all day, but that gives me the opportunity to do stuff for smaller companies that they can't afford. I don't charge them because why though? What I charge? A f I did a, a dog rescue during pandemic. I did all of their logo uh -huh. and branding, right? Like, why would I charge them? Because for them, they would never be able to afford my rate. But if they can get great work, and you know, talent myself, great work. Um, not going to Fiverr. No offense to Fiverr. Love you guys. I've used Fiverr before, but. Like I get so into it, you know, like I get, I put as much care into doing something like that as I would do for like a BNY 
okay. or a Goldman or an Amex, right? Like, to me, it's just doing great work and doing great work for great people is just, it's. Absolutely. Right. It's just, it, it's just, it's such an icing on the cake of what we do. Is there anything else you'd like to end this off with? Cause this is, <laughs> Oh, trust, I'm not, trust me. I'm not cutting you off. I anything else you want to say, Joe? anything else you want to ramble on about? Tell us about. <laughs> no, it's, it's, no, I, you, you're, I, again, it, you're, you're such an amazing human being. Um, it's great to have you in my life. I love that you do this. This is um, on top of the billion other things you do. Um, this is actually but, a lot you know, of fun. A lot. Uh, I can and, imagine. And, I've been, I've been, I just assumed if I started a podcast, it would just be me drinking with another human being until the podcast got less able to be understood. Because people ask me if this know. was, people ask me if this is a true passion, uh, you know, to continue doing this. And people don't realize I'm learning as much from the people that I speak to as the people that are listening. And just getting a better perspective. I've always been a people person, a people watcher. So to get different people's perspective on how they succeeded, that that's just very intriguing for me. And this is something I, I plan on doing for a very long time. But it's it's this is so much fun to reach out and sharing people's story with other people that need to hear it or need to know what are what is that one thing that they're missing that might be able to take them to the next level. That's a hundred percent true. And I think that's what makes you such a great human being is that caring about how other people are caring about their journey care, just being, being interested in it. Like, you know, part of my job is doing user testing and we get to ask questions of people. And I got to talk to one human being that told me he had no apps on his phone. And I was like, <laughs> no, really. And he showed me his phone and his, and his home screen. And he had all the folks, just the base apps without, with removing a couple of them. So I think he removed stocks and some, some other one that he, uh, I think the, the weather app, uh, and just used the browser for everything. And I sat back and I wanted to, and the worst part is I wanted to examine him like an alien. Cause I was just like, Oh, why do you even have a phone? Just go get him, just go get a Motorola razor and just call it a day. Um, but he, he said, he was like, you know, I just don't like a lot of clutter. He goes, if I need to get to something, I'll get through, through the browser, which then made me say like, oh boy, I need to step up my, my web game for brow for mobile and make sure we do like device agnostic. So this poor bastard gets the best experience he can get out of a mobile phone using the browser. Cause Lord knows those mobile sites are rough sometimes, but you know what I mean? Like, but that's the thing is that it's. People are interesting. This is why Humans of New York has millions and millions of followers because a person running into randos in New York and asking them their story is just, it's so compelling. And definitely leaders compelling. are compelling. People who work, you know, who love their job, who hate their job are compelling. People who, like you, who day, daytime, de developer by day, author and podcaster by night you know it's like yeah it's just it's awesome it's awesome how we all got here and it's great you know awesome thanks joe again so to my listeners thanks for joining me for this episode of in the woods be sure to sign up to our email list at more in the that's more m-o-o-r-e 
inthewoods.com so that you don't miss out on our next episode. And follow me at William Moore, the author on all social media. And I'm James Woods. Some people know me as William Moore. Thank you for listening.